Welcome to Epiphany Brooklyn's podcast. I am Brandon Watts, lead pastor here at Epiph. Thanks so much for tuning in. Our desire is to join Jesus in his mission to redeem our city. May God bless you as you listen and consider subscribing so that you can tune in each week. Grace and peace. You are the living word. And what our dead hearts needed was a living word. Something that's active and alive and sharper than any double-edged sword. But this is the day the Lord has made. We ought to rejoice and be glad in it. I don't know if you have joy or not. Anybody came in the room with a little bit of joy in their hearts? Man. Your boy is back and I got joy. I got joy. I got, I got some joy and I woke up with it. The rain didn't take that joy. Circumstances didn't sway that joy. This joy that I have, the world didn't give it. And the world don't know how to take it away. I missed y'all, man. I really did. I missed y'all. It is so good to see so many of your faces and some faces that I, that I don't know. Shout out to those of you who are online. Um, may, you may or may not know this, but the last six weeks, five Sundays, but six weeks, uh, my wife and I and our family has been, um, has been on sabbatical. We dearly missed you guys. I can report back to you that I feel refreshed and rejuvenated and recharged, clarity on vision. It's something about decluttering, that you get clarity on the very voice of God. Ty and I spent a ton of time uh, just resting with no, no agenda, clear cal- calendar. We spent a ton of time sleeping. Uh, y'all know we ate good because that's just what we do. That's, you know, Ty's love language is food. And so, uh, and so we, we, we spent a lot of time eating and, and, um, and praying. And man, I knocked off a bunch of devotionals. Um, and the Lord, I just felt like the Lord was speaking. I don't know if y'all remember, but my last Sunday here, I said to you guys, uh, I solicited your prayers and asked that you would pray simply because I felt like the Lord was calling me to write and I didn't know why, why he was calling me to write or what I was writing about or what I was, what I was doing. I can report back to you again that I have finished 90% of a book. 90%. We're getting there. I felt a release in my spirit to give you guys the topic. This isn't the title, but the topic is on boundaries and talking about how we can spiritually grow if we set up healthy boundaries. And then even what are unhealthy boundaries? I have a chapter on forgiveness because there have been some people that have crossed your boundaries and you still haven't spoke to them. And so there's just some things that I, I, I don't know. I felt like the Lord was downloading and I was doing my best to be like, Samuel, speak, Lord. The, the, your servant is listening and your servant is writing. And I, I felt really good. So, man, I'm so glad to be back in the house of God. There is no place, in my opinion, I'm biased, but there's no place like Epiphany Church. It's, it's not. It's not. I, um, I spent some time on... Um, on other churches on you know Sunday mornings I went to some other churches and man I had some good words and enjoyed it but it's just nothing like epiphany in my opinion this is the place I find community this is the place I find a home and shout out to everybody that kept things running we like the church kept going that means it's not built on me so shout out to everybody that served and 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 gave and gave of time, anybody that gave of your resources, uh, the tech team that served, the worship team, the welcome team, the prayer team, the community life team, the events team, uh, our beloved ministry, our men's ministry. Like, I hope I didn't forget you, but everybody, um, I got one gripe, just a, just a small gripe, 
just a little gripe. Uh, Party in the Park looked dope, uh, and, and, and some on Atlantic looked dope. I thought I was coming back to some jerk chicken today. I know it's raining, but y'all could have smoked up the lobby or something. I came back to no jerk chicken. Um, but man, it, it looked amazing, and it looked like you guys had a great time. Please understand that when you are serving, Colossians chapter 3, verse 23 says, Whatever you do, work heartily as unto the Lord, not unto man. So even though we're serving each other and we're trying to outdo each other and showing honor and we're serving the church and we're serving people as they come in, even though, though we're doing those things, uh, ultimately the Lord is being, um, being uh, glorified through your, through your service. So I just want to honor those of you who served. Um, I honor you for how you honor the church and how you treat the church. And that's a big deal. It's time for the word. Speaking of serving, this is my responsibility. Grab your Bibles. Go to the first book of the New Testament. Once you go to the first book of the New Testament, do me a favor and go to the last, to the last chapter of, of that book. So Matthew, be me in Matthew 28. Matthew 28. How to reach the masses, men of every birth. For an answer, Jesus gave the key. Y'all know this song? He said, if I, if I be lifted up from the earth, I'll draw all men unto me. Come on, clap your hands. How to reach the masses, men of every birth. For an answer, Jesus gave the key. You're not singing? He said, if I, if I be lifted up from the earth. Uh, anybody know this? All men unto me. How about this part? Lift him up, lift him up. Still he speaks from eternity. He said, if I, if I be lifted up from the earth, I'll draw home. Can I sing the second verse, y'all? Oh, the world is hungry for the living bread. Lift a Savior up for them to see. Trust in him and do not doubt the words that he said, I'll draw all me. Come on, double clap here. Lift him up. Lift him up. Lift him up. Still he speaks from eternity. I hear that harmony. Come on. He said if I, if I be lifted up from the Can we have some church? It feels right in here. Come on, let's do it again. Lift him him up, lift him up, still, still he speaks, he said if I, he said if I, if I be lifted up from the earth, can we do it one more time, I need you to feel it down in your toes, come on, lift him up, lift him up, lift him up, lift him up, Matthew chapter 28. 
Shout out to all of the, the those of you who the, those of you who were in the room that that preached over the last uh, five weeks. Uh, I am genuinely grateful. The pulpit was held down. Uh, shout out to Warner. Did an amazing, amazing job last week in Jonah chapter one. Shout out to Pastor Craig who was in the first service. Come on, let's thank God for the people. Who... It ain't easy. Shout out to. One of my favorite people, and I, I don't know, I just love Pastor Timmy. Shout out to Pastor Timmy. Where he at? Upstairs. Shout out to the Young Guns, uh, the free agent, Le LeBron James, Caleb. Let's give some love to Caleb. And one of my friends from, from Chicago, he's one of the pastors at Salem, uh, uh, Baptist Church, Pastor Watson Jones. Come on, let's thank God for him. All right, it's time for the word. Uh, Matthew chapter 28. Why don't you meet me in verse number 16? If y'all there, just be like, I know you back, B. Just somebody say, I'm there, B. Verse 16 says this. Now the 11 disciples, that's Judas included, not included. Uh, now the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshiped him. Please underline this phrase or make note of it. But some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded and behold, I am with you always. What a promise, y'all. Can I read that again? And behold, I am with you. Watch the perpetual nature of how he's with us. Always. To the end of the ages. I want to preach today, honestly, from the topic that poses a question. What's next? What? You know, y'all ever have that feeling in life where you accomplish something or you do something or something succeeding and and then, you know, you just got that, that uneasy feeling and the question that you're pondering in the back of your head is, well, what's next? What am I supposed to do? That's the question that I want us as a church to think about today. What is next? What are we supposed to be doing? And if I'm honest with you, I think my assignment this morning is to shake up your comfort this morning. So if you give me a little bit of room to do so, let's look to the Lord before we dig in. Father, yeah, we engage, Lord, in your word again. And Lord, I thank you, oh God, for everybody that opened their mouth and proclaimed your word over the last five weeks. And I pray that that same spirit that was on them would use me today for your glory, not from, not unto us, not unto us get the glory. Lord, you get the glory today. So may Jesus be proclaimed. We thank you for this commissioning, this commandment. And we pray, oh God, that this great commission would be a part of our lives, corporately, but also individually. It's in Christ's name we give glory. Somebody say amen. Just do me a favor and ask that question to somebody next to you, and you don't have to answer it. Just ask them, what's next? Come on, look at somebody else and just say, what's next? So, man, I don't know if I told you all this, but Ty and I closed um, in April of this year. Ty and I closed on um, a little piece of property in Tulum, Mexico. And yet, yeah, man, God is gracious. Full transparency, it was completely the wisdom of, of, uh, that God gave to Ty. She, two years ago, she had this vision and um, 
And, and so we, we rearranged our resources to make sure that we could do this. And so we bought this small piece of property in, um, in, in Tulum, Mexico. And, and the, the goal for it is an investment property. And so we're going to set that up, going to make a little bread off of it. You know, how, you know that's what you do. We, so we, most of the time, that's what it's going to be. But it's also uh, doubling as just a, a small vacation spot where we can go and hang out. So um, we were there during the, our sabbatical. And we were there for, we've never done this before. I promise y'all, we're not balling out of control, but we booked one-way flights and we didn't know when we was coming back. I'm not kidding. We was like, I don't, I don't, we just going to pick a date. Kids were calling. We was like, ah, we not coming home. <laughs> y'all, y'all grown. Parents was calling. We was like, ah, we, we, we here. And so we went there and we stayed most of the month in in Mexico, and, you know, we're trying to get the place together. We, you know, don't have furniture and stuff. In fact, we, we do now, but when we first got there, we sleeping on the floor and just trying to figure it out. And um, there was, when we first got there, the first day we got there, which was the very, very top of August, we had two agendas when we first got there. The first was we found out that Pastor Timmy and Lady Io was, was going to be there at the same time with their family. And so we figured out a good date that we could both link up. There. I mean, literally, we landed and we went straight to a restaurant to hang out with them. And so we got to hang out with Pastor Timmy and, and Io. And, uh, you know, Io and I was side-eyeing Pastor Timmy and Ty because they was eating roasted crickets. I'm not kidding. <laughs> Am I lying? They was eating roasted crickets. And we was like, yeah, it's a no for me, dog. It, we was like, what it tastes like? They said roaches. I said, how you, how you know what a roach tastes like, though? <laughs> so that was the first assignment. We said, man, we got to hang out with them, man. We love them. They're here. We're here. Let's, let's kick it off there. The second thing we knew we had to do was we knew that we had to go to the grocery store. And Ty was like, we got to stock up because the way our checking and savings works, uh, it's not conducive to eat out every night. Ty was very clear. You, you might enjoy them tacos, but you, you got to select when you're going to get those tacos because you can't. I, don't, I know they're $3, but you're not going to get them every night. And so we're going to, and then we believe in home cooked meals, you know, our ingredients, our food. So, you know, I, I tried to make tacos, but I'm ghetto. Black tacos ain't it. It's, we try to get too fancy. We got adobo. What you doing with adobo and tacos? We got all types of weird stuff in, 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 in Lowry seasoning salt and tacos. Anyway, so we went to the store and we, we began to stock up and, and, and put stuff in the fridge. When I first got there, I made a beeline to the produce section for two reasons. Number one, I really, really love, I love fruit. Our, our house is always stocked with fruits and vegetables. Like I really, I really love, um, I love all types of fruit. And so I made a beeline to the produce section, but there was one specific item in the produce section I was looking for, and that's a watermelon. Now, I don't know how y'all feel about it. I, li- listen, wh- whatever, whatever the, the, the stereotype is, it's me all the way. I, I carry two watermelons through the store. Here, I do that. But anyway, I, I got to, we got to the store. I went and got a watermelon. And you know why? Because watermelons in Mexico hit different. You know why they hit different? Because here, somebody said it. Here, we got seedless watermelons. But when I grew up in, 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 in Jacksonville, North Carolina... Our watermelons had seeds in them. And I know it's not a convenience. You got to play with them and spit them out and figure it out. But let me tell you something. It tastes much, much better. And in Mexico, the watermelons are amazing simply because they don't have to go through a long process. They don't have to sit in customs. There's no preservatives. They pick them up from the, the uncle down the street and wheel them on into the supermarket. I'm serious. And then they lay them out or sometimes they sell them on the corner. Uh, it's something about 
watermelons that have seeds in them. Now, I don't know if you guys know this, but a seedless watermelon are the result of a Japanese scientist playing with the chromosomes of a seed. And what they did was they made sure that the chromosomes were all an odd number. And if the chromosomes were all odd, that watermelon, don't miss this because I'm actually preaching, that watermelon doesn't produce. That watermelon is sterile. And so when I consider a seedless watermelon and a watermelon with seeds, they look the same from the outside. If you close your eyes and you cut it open, they smell the same. But one of them produces. And one of them, after you eat it, does nothing else. Now, I know you think I'm still talking about Mexican watermelons, but I'm now talking about the church because our churches have become so pretty, so attractive, but they are seedless watermelons, a place where we don't produce, a place where we don't disciple, a place where we don't share our faith, a place where we're more excited about coming to church than going out and living this faith thing. Like that, that, that's what the church has become. And as a consequence, God is looking down and going, the church only does Sunday morning seedless watermelon. But I think what God is calling us for is to not be a church that you just come to, sing a few songs, take some communion, and go out and do nothing with it. I think he's calling us. No, I'm using the wrong word. I think he's commissioning us. That's what Matthew 28 is. It's the great commissioning. It's him saying all of you are, 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 are gospel uh, carriers, gospel troop carriers, and now you got to go to your jobs and your buildings and your families, and you have to live out this thing called faith. And can I just be clear? I'm talking to us corporately as a church, but I'm talking to you as an individual. I'm talking to the person that has not shared their faith all year long. I'm talking to the person that knows you got the keys of life. And we do nothing with it. Now, in the passage here, Matthew 28 is the great commissioning. Y'all be, be gracious to me. I feel a little rusty today. But it is the great commissioning. This is where, where Jesus gives a command. Now, it's not just a command, but it's important because it's his last command. It's something about the last words, right? So Jesus has already, he was born, he lived the perfect life, he already went to the cross, died the perfect death, but he had, and he rose already, but he has not ascended into heaven yet. And so what he does is he shows up to the 11 disciples, and what he does is he commissions them, he pushes them, he gets them out. And I just believe that the last command of Jesus must be the first priority of the church. Can you write that down? The last command of Jesus must be the first priority of the church. The last thing he told us must be the first thing we commit to. Well, what, is he, what is he commanding us? He's commanding us to be commissioned to go out. Now, I always miss this in verse 16. I've actually, I've preached this before. We have core values that are around this. This is, if you're, if you, if you're a member here, you've gone through our new members class. This is on the video for our new members class. I talk about this this verse, because it's so profound, it is what the church is supposed to be. But I missed something in verse 16. In verse 16, it says, now the 11 disciples went to Galilee to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. I think we should pay attention to the location that Jesus meets them. Why do I think we should pay attention? Because there's something profound about biblical mountains. There is something profound when Jesus meets you on a mountain, something's going to happen. Y'all know the song we sang today, uh, if I, if I be lifted up from the earth, I'll draw all men to me. We know Jesus says that, right, in, in John chapter 12. But Jesus actually is quoting the story back in Numbers 21. And in Numbers 21, Israel is on a mountain. 
a mountain, a mountain called Mount Or. And what he's doing is he's simply, uh, what Israel's doing is they're simply complaining and they're complaining. And God is so tired of their complaints that he zaps them down with fiery serpents. And his fiery serpents, this is a real story, Numbers 21, and his serpents everywhere, and they start biting Israel. And Israel looks to, to, to Moses, their leader, and they say, cry out to the Lord on our behalf. And so he cries out to the Lord, and the Lord answers him and says, Moses, this is what I want you to do. Take the snake, pick up a snake, wrap it around the pole, and lift it up. And everybody that looks at the snake on the pole will be saved from the venomous uh, uh, snakes. It actually happened and it actually worked. So what Jesus does is, this is typology. What Jesus does is Jesus quotes it, but Jesus says, no longer do you look at a snake on a pole, but you look at me on a cross. Two pieces of wood. And if I look to that, I will be saved. On a mountain is where you first get the introduction to what salvation is going to look like. What else happened on a mountain? What about Genesis chapter 22, where Abraham takes his son Isaac? Where does he take him? They go up a mountain called Mount Moriah, and Abraham is supposed to sacrifice his son. God tells him not to do it. Look over, and boom, there's a ram in the bush, and he takes a ram, and that's a a substitute. He sacrifices the ram, and this is the place that they first called God Jehovah-Jireh which means God provides. So when you got money in your bank, you got to remember that God's provision first started on a mountain called Mount Moriah. What about Exodus chapter 20? You get 10 commandments because Moses hiked up a mountain called Mount Sinai and he sat up there and heard the voice of God and God wrote on the, on the ta- two tablets with his finger and he brought it back down to the people. Can I, by the way, say that the Ten Commandments, I think we get this so confused. The Ten Commandments was never given to you as a list that you had to keep to appease God. Because some of us are going, oh, I just got to keep it. I, I just can't kill nobody. I just I don't kill, don't steal. And that's how, we, that's how we interact with the Ten Commandments. Listen to me. The Ten Commandments was never given to you as a list that you had to keep in order to satisfy God. The Ten Commandments was actually given to you as a list that, that you couldn't keep because he wanted to show you that there was one who could keep them. And it shows you why you need Jesus. So listen, I ain't saying go out and just start breaking the Ten Commandments. But I am saying you can't uphold them. And maybe you're in here and you upheld nine of the ten. Maybe you did. Do you realize that Jesus says that if you fail at one point, you you are accountable for it all? So maybe you never murdered anybody. He's like, I did everything else. God God is like, yeah, but Jesus is like, yeah, but you, you you did this, you did this. So therefore, you're guilty of all of them. We need Jesus because he killed the list where you failed at it. And then he, what he does is he goes to a cross. God, this is the gospel. He goes to a cross and he takes that list and says, here's perfection, but I don't want it for me. I'm going to give it to them. And then he gives you the perfection and he took your list and he put it on himself. This is the gospel that we get to celebrate. On a mountain, Caleb, is where we see the Ten Commandments. What about First, uh, First Kings 18? On a mountain called Mount Carmel, the Bible says that there's a prophet named Elisha, and he, he, he wants to go to war with the prophets of Baal, and he goes to war. Remember this whole thing? They're calling down, they're calling down a, a fire. It's so funny, man. It's comical because in the midst of that, do you realize that Elijah literally says to them, where's your... But they're cutting themselves. They're screaming out to their God, and Elijah literally says, is your, ba- is your God in the bathroom? He literally says that. And so... What we see is God flexes his muscles over other gods, but where does he do that? We see the power of God on a mountain. What about the New Testament? 
On the, in the New Testament, Jesus goes to a mountain. We don't know the name of it, but we call it the Mount of Transfiguration because Jesus takes Peter, James, and John and puts them on a mountain with him, and he begins to transform. I don't know how he did it, but when they opened their eyes, they saw Jesus, Elijah, and Moses all having a, a conversation that was given to us on the mountain, showing us that Jesus was fully who he said he was. What about the longest sermon that Jesus ever preached? We call it the Sermon on the I know your Bibles, the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, Matthew 6, Matthew 7. We get good teaching from Jesus on a mountain. What about Calvary? Do you real? Okay, Calvary's a hill, but let's just act like it's a small mountain today, okay? It works in the sermon. You get Calvary because of a so-called mountain. What, what, I wanna, what I wanna suggest to you today is don't look at Matthew 28 and skip over the fact that God met the 11 disciples on the mountain. The reason I don't want you to skip over that is because it's powerful. He's not meeting them on the mountain to save them. They are already saved. He is meeting them on the mountain because he now says this is the mountain of commissioning. This is the mountain I want you to go out. The church is the next step in the mission that Jesus started. Do you realize that? You're not, we're not just gathered in this room to wax eloquent and listen to Colin sing and hear good music from the band. I'm grateful for all of that, but don't you dare get it twisted. You and I are Shakari Richardson, and we got the baton, and Jesus passed it to you, and now it's our responsibility to carry the good news. You and I. Like, man, think about this. Jesus comes to earth. He's in heaven. He comes to earth. He empties himself. Right? He empties himself, comes to earth, and lives this perfect life, and dies this perfect death. And then after he finished and accomplished the mission that he was here, what was the mission? To seek and save the lost. Let me just say that again, to seek and save the lost. We've lost that. I don't know who's getting with me over here, but thank you, because I need everybody else to get in this. To seek and save the lost. And our churches have been so good at creating an atmosphere that is conducive for the found. And I think what God is calling us to, now yes, the found is important and the gospel needs to go forth to the found because it is what saves us. The gospel don't just save you, it sustains you. So yes, that's needed. But what about the lost person that don't know Jesus? And so what he does is he accomplishes his, his, the, 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 the cross and then he ascends back into heaven. Have you ever considered what the angel said when Jesus made it back to heaven? Like I think about, I use my sanctified imagination. I think about stuff like that. Now, I don't want to get crazy here because we don't got a text that I can back this up. But I just imagine that I can imagine that the angels see Jesus make it back in heaven. And I can imagine them going, geez, you a wild boy. You said you was going to save them trifling people. And you actually went to a cross and you killed it. You actually did what you said you was going to do. And I can imagine one angel, one angel sitting in the corner going, Jesus, but I got a question, Jesus. My question is, now that you've accomplished this mission, now that you saved them, and now that you, are, you want this message to spread so that other people can be saved, how would they be saved if you're here? I can imagine that. And I can imagine Jesus pointing down to Epiphany Church on the 960 Atlantic Avenue and telling the angels, that's how. I can imagine, I can imagine him pointing to the, to the foolish disciples and saying, that's how. You and I, as a church, are not plan B of God's mission. You are the original plan. We are the original, and if this is true, 
If this is true, if we are the original plan, if, if we are supposed to accomplish what Jesus began, that's Acts chapter 1, verse 1, that, that he wrote so that we can accomplish what Jesus has began. If that is true, how dare we sit in church and be happy because we came to church and we told nobody else about Jesus? How dare we? We are the sole beneficiaries of the gospel of Christ. That you and I, are supposed to carry on this mission. How dare we have people in our lives that don't know Jesus and we don't tell them about Jesus? How dare we have family members that don't know about you? You know people in your life that burn sage and don't know Jesus. You know people in your life that still pray into the universe and don't know Jesus. You know people that got a void in their heart and you got the answers to fill that void and you shut your mouth and don't say anything about Jesus. How dare we? I feel angry. And I, I, don't, I, don't, mean, I, don't, I, don't, I don't mean to. I just know what a lost world needs. You know what a lost world needs? Somebody in this room to tell them about a man from Galilee. A man that saved our soul and a man that ransomed us and a man that brought us out of darkness and into the marvelous light. We need somebody to tell us about how, how he saved us from the muck and mire. I need somebody to tell me about Jesus. Somebody say, just tell me about Jesus. This is what we need. September, we need a mountaintop commissioning. That's what we need. Now, 11 disciples are on the, on the mountain right here in, in the text, but I need you to put yourself in there uh, as the 12th, not Judas, but the uh, 12th. Put yourself in there and imagine that you're on that mountain. And what I want to do is I want to shake you up. And I want to tell you that 99.9% .9 of the room isn't carrying the baton that Jesus passed to you. You ain't drop it. You just sit down. Everybody else running. But we sat down. Now, I know what you're doing. You want Pastor B. I feel you, but I don't feel worthy, right? I don't, I don't, feel, I don't feel worthy. Like, I, I don't feel like, you know, he's, why is he passing it to me? Give it to somebody else. Can I show you the guys he gave it to? Watch what it says here in verse number, verse number 16. Now, the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they, meaning the, the disciples, saw him, meaning Jesus, they worshiped him. Watch these fools. But some doubted. Can you imagine that? Yo, when I first read this, I'm like, wait a minute now. Matthew, why would you write that? This sounds like a crazy way to start a mission that's literally going to take over the world. Why would you start it with worshipers and doubters? Dismiss the doubters and let's do this thing with the worshipers. Don't nobody want anybody on the team that's a doubter. Let's, put, let's just do it with the worshipers. But you know what? Jesus does not dismiss the doubters. Nowhere in the Great Commissioning does he only give it to the worshipers. He actually gives it to both. Now, let me, let me deal with this word doubt. This word doubt uh, in the original language implies hesitation or indecision. It does not mean unbelief. So he's not on the mountain with two sets of uh, believers and non-believers. They're both believers. Some are more mature than others. That, that's what you get in the text. In fact, there's only two times that this word in the Greek is used, doubted in, in, the, in Matthew. Only two times it's used here in Matthew 28, and it's used back in Matthew 14. Matthew 14, Peter's walking on the water to Jesus. He sinks. Jesus saves him. And what does Jesus say? Oh, you of little faith. Why did you? It's the same word. Same word. That doesn't mean Peter doesn't know the Lord. That simply means Peter had a moment of hesitation. And I believe that there's somebody in this room that does have some doubts. 
And, 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 and I think there's two things, really, honestly, there's two things. I was going to say one. There's two things that I think are at play when it comes to why Jesus didn't dismiss the doubters. The first one, I believe that what Jesus was doing was he was normalizing the fact that the people who carry the mission don't always have it all together. Now, I don't know if you feel like you got it together, but your boy rejoiced because I realized I'm the last person that should be preaching. I'm the last person that should be a part of the church. I'm the last person Jesus should, Jesus should have saved, but he saved me not because I was a worshiper, but because I was a doubter and he's gracious and he's merciful. Can somebody thank God for a gracious God? You know what it is? You don't think you would be on the mountain worshiping. That's what it is. You don't realize that most of us in this room would be in the category of doubting. So the first thing I do, he's normalizing the fact that the people that carry the mission are not always together. The second thing I think he's doing is he is making room at the table for those of you who have unanswered questions, but you're still a believer. I do. There's somebody in this room. You don't got all the answers. Nobody does. There are times I'm still scratching my head going, what does that mean? But let me tell you, those doubts never detoured me from trusting in Jesus. And I want to give somebody room and permission. It's okay that you don't got all your questions answered. You may never. In fact, I'm glad that I don't have all my questions answered because I, if I did, that means I figured out God. And you can't figure out God. His ways are not our ways. His thoughts are not our thoughts. He thinks in lofty ways and we're finite and fickle. And so therefore, you're not going to have the answer to all your questions. And so doubt is a real thing. And some of you need to normalize that. I'm not saying let it handicap you or cripple you, but it should be something that you pay attention to, but you don't let it push you away from Jesus. Ty and I were out to dinner and uh, we were watching this video together of this young man. We don't know him, but you know, we, we've, I, I've done some uh, ministry in the same circles as him. I, I used to do um, this conference every year in Chicago called um, Legacy Conference. It's at Moody, at Moody, um, at Moody uh, Bible Fellowship. And I used to go there every year in the summertime because I don't go to Chicago in the winter. Every year in the summertime, I would go. And, um, and there was this young man that, you know, we, you know, we interacted, we, we knew him, and we were watching this video when we were at dinner because the young man that had a huge following, he was a poet. If I said his name, some of you would know. The young man actually walked away from the faith. You know what I'm talking about? He walked away from the faith, and Ty and I were, I mean, we were baffled. We were, we were trying to figure it out, and Ty said something while we were at dinner about doubt that stuck with me. She said, when I doubt, my faith got to kick in. And that's what it is. That's what it's about. It's okay to doubt, but I ain't doubting my way out of the faith. I ain't got every question answered. I don't know everything. There's some stuff that ain't black and white. There's some stuff that's still gray, but I trust him. I trust that he knows what he's doing. Anybody in this room ever fell into those moments of doubt? Were you doubted the very goodness of God? Don't lie. Were you, were you doubted that God was for you? Has, has anybody ever experienced that? Where you doubted, you looked around and you thought about your prayer request and God answered your prayer request but gave it to somebody else? You were like, God, like, you, that wasn't for her. That was for me. Why would you give that to her? We have moments where we doubt. We were like, God, David did. David's funny, man. There, there are moments where David in Scripture is like, man, you're so close to me, like, smothering me, God, I can't breathe. Next chapter, God, where are you? You're the next chapter. 
And that's called life because the spiritual journey is not this. I told y'all before, it's always this. And this is the moments of doubt. I don't know why I'm on this point too long. I'll read this and I'll move on. Tim Keller, uh, the late Tim Keller, he said this. He said, faith without some doubt is like a human body without any antibodies in it. People who nonchalantly go through life too busy or indifferent to ask hard questions about why they believe um, what they do will find themselves defenseless either Uh, defenseless in either the experience of tragedy or the probing question of a smart skeptic. A person of faith can, a person's faith can collapse overnight if he or she has failed to over the years listen patiently to their own doubts, which should only be discarded after long reflection. Normalizing doubt. So I'm going to move on. Some worshiped, but some doubted. Now let's get to the commissioning. Let's get, oh, no, I can't. Wait, 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 wait. I've been gone for a long time. I'm a little rusty, y'all. I can't move on because the commissioning is in verse 19 and verse 20. But we got to sit in verse 18 for a second. Here's why. The commissioning is impossible if verse 18 ain't true. So what Jesus does is he says, I'm about to send them out. But before I send them out, they got to they gotta know who I am. And so in verse 18, he gives us a promise. And verse 19 and 20 hinges on verse 18. Here it is. And Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Do you realize Jesus, the one who's sending you out, just claimed all authority? Not some authority. He don't got some authority and the Pope got some. He ain't got some authority and the elders got some. Can we agree that if Jesus said all, that means all? Can we also agree that if Jesus has all, then we have none? Wait, wait, wait. Unless he gives you some, I'll get there in a second. There were men in the scriptures and in life that genuinely think they have all authority. I think about Pontius Pilate. Pontius Pilate in John chapter 18 thought he had all. Are y'all good? We good? John, John, John chapter 18, Jesus is on trial and Pontius Pilate is holding Jesus on trial. And Pontius Pilate genuinely thought he had all authority. And here's what he says to Jesus. He says, do you refuse to speak to me? Because, you know, Jesus hit him with the silent treatment. Do you refuse to speak to me? Do you not know that I have the authority to release you and I have the authority to crucify you? What does Jesus say back to him? You ain't got no authority over me. And then he says, the authority that you do has, has been given to you. What about Herod? Herod had jurisdictional authority, but Herod didn't have all authority. When I was on sabbatical, I was looking at the news and I found out there was a young man, actually an old man, that fooled around with an election and fooled around, I was going to say the other thing, fooled around and found out <laughs> that he didn't have all authority, fooled around and got indicted, and now has a court date on March 4th at 12 noon. I've been paying attention. I had time. I had time. He found out that he didn't have all authority. There's only one person that is able to claim, I got all authority. But note this, he's not just saying I got all authority. Watch the sphere of his authority. He says I got all authority in heaven. 
that's Michael, that's Gabriel, that's all the archangels. But can I mess you up? Revelation 12 tells me that Satan was an angel. And that means that Jesus claimed authority even over Satan. Here's why you should be rejoicing, because most of your problems aren't actually physical problems. Most of your problems are spiritual ones. We don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but we wrestle against uh, principalities and authorities and cosmic powers in high places. But Jesus just said, I got all authority. Y'all remember, man, I'm going off here. Y'all remember when, when the... Um, when Jesus came up and rolled up to the man that was possessed and the demon spoke, and when the demon spoke, the demon said, have you come to, to cast us out? Have you come to destroy us? What they were saying was, we don't believe in dualism. We know you got all the power. Why he didn't kill Satan, I don't know. He has some purpose for it. But nevertheless, Jesus could if he wanted to. He could take him outside and shoot him in the forehead if he wanted to. But he doesn't. He doesn't. Y'all actually, I need y'all to go back and look at our Bible study on dualism. I don't know where that came from. I don't know where that came from. I've been out. Ty, I'm rusty, Ty. I'm rusty. Rusty. It's been a while. It's been a while. All authority. Listen, listen. When I, when I was out, you know, um, I, don't really look, I don't really like hang out in the sun like that. It just, that's just me, and especially on 98-degree days, which is what it was in August in Tulum. You know, sometimes when Ty and I are walking down the street, if it's too hot, Ty loves the sun. Loves the sun. And if it's too hot, sometimes Ty will walk on the side of the street where the sun is, and I'm walking on the shade, and we're talking across the street. <laughs> Am I lying? I'd be like, I can't do it. It's too hot. It's too hot. But Ty wanted to go to the beach a lot when we were in Mexico. So one day I was sitting on the beach, and I looked at, out at the vastness of the ocean. Do you realize when I looked out at the vastness of the ocean, do you realize God says, that's mine? All authority. If you go to China right now, when you scale the Great Wall of China, God looks down and says, that's mine. If you go over to the Grand Canyon right now and you look at the, the depth of the Grand Canyon, God looks at it and it says, that's mine. If you go north up to Niagara Falls, God looks at Niagara Falls and says, that's mine. Oh, let me mess you up. If you come to 960 Atlantic Avenue, God looks down and says, that's mine. Look at somebody and say, God is, God is in charge here. And he don't take a sabbatical. <laughs> Jesus is it. I almost said, uh, never mind. I'm going to keep going. All authority. Somebody say all authority. But I need you to pay attention to this word authority. The, the word so there's two, there's two types of words. I promise y'all I'm going to let y'all out in 10 minutes. 10 minutes. 10 minutes, set the clock, start playing. 10 minutes, I'll be done. There's two words in the New Testament that are used for authority. The first word that is used for authority normally is this word dunamis. Dunamis actually means power. Dunamis means mighty work. Dunamis means strength. In fact, I preached on this at, at, at the old church, at the old building, and I actually I pulled out a stick of dynamite, and I walked around the church. It was fake, and I lit it, and I was like, man, this is, this is dunamis. This is, this is authority. This is the power of God. But that's not the word that's used here. Matthew doesn't use dunamis here. You know what he uses? Ex exousia. Exousia means authority that is allowed. Don't you miss this. Dunamis means power. Exousia means power to give power. 
In other words, it means I have the authority to transfer my authority. And so what that means is God sits in heaven and he looks down and he says, you know why my church is going to be able to accomplish the mission? Because I gave them authority. Do you realize you got authority and you, you got power? God is like, Jesus is like, I know how to cast out demons, but I gave you the power to cast out demons. I know how to, to, to heal you from the sick, but I gave you the power to heal yourself from the sick. I know how to raise the dead, but I gave you the power to call the dead to raise them. I know how to break strongholds, but I gave you the power to break strongholds. Somebody needs to walk in the power of God. You won't be in that sinful relationship too long if you walked in the power of God because you would have the authority to walk away from it. Some of you are stuck right now in addictions and, and, and you won't call it an addiction, but I'm here to tell you it's an addiction and you stuck in it. You got the authority to break free from even addiction. Somebody say authority. Exousia. That is what we got. That is what God has given us. Now, okay, that's the promise, verse 18. Can we, I'm going to just do this real quick. Can we just do the commissioning real quick? So here it is. He said, man, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Here's the commissioning. One word. Go. Listen, as, as Epiphany Church continues to grow, I am grateful. I really am. I'm, I, sometimes I'm shocked. No, I'm always shocked. Like, people came to church in the rain? We were sitting there, oh, I said, Ty, ain't nobody coming to church today. It's raining. And here you are. So I'm grateful that you come. But I'm more excited when you, because that's the commissioning. If all you did was came in here, sang some songs, clapped your hands, took communion, and walked out, and you do nothing with it, we do not fulfill the Great Commission. The great commissioning calls us to go. Can I tell you what the Lord was telling me when I was on break? Here's one of the things that, please write this down, and I'm going I'm to expound on this later. Here's one of the things I was very clear with. God was saying that epiphany needs to stand firm, but not still. Stand firm. 1 Corinthians 16, stand firm in the faith. But your feet standing firm in the faith don't mean you're planted there in a way that handicaps the mission. Stand firm. Not still. The gospel got to go around. And who carries that? You and I. How does that happen? You and I got to go. Well, what do we go and do? We, we go and the scripture says, go therefore and make disciples. This is why we have a line item on our budget. You may not know this, but we have a line item on our budget specifically for discipleship. I want to see everybody in this room committed to discipleship before the end of the year. Why? Because that is how you are formed to look more like Jesus. It's messy. It ain't always easy. We always, we got to run through people being your business and we don't like that kind of stuff, but that's part of the commissioning is to make disciples so that we can look more like Jesus. You know what the other part of the commissioning is? He says, go therefore and make disciples, baptizing them. Baptism is a sign of conversion. It doesn't save you, but baptism shows that you are already saved. Great commission. Can I give you the last one? He says, go and teach. Oh, but don't just teach. He says, teach them to observe. Do y'all see this? Is that in your Bibles? Verse 20, teach them to observe all that I have commanded. That means that teaching and preaching, what we're doing now isn't for you to just take notes, it's for transformation. Do you realize, like, 
the sermon, it's not just the thing that you write down. It's, it's the thing that we live out. The word of God is the thing that we live out. It's, it, it's, it's, a, it's a part, it's called holiness. It's, it's called sanctification. And we don't use those words no more. You know why do we don't use those words? Because we, we've become attractional churches where we don't want to mess you up and we don't want to, you know, we don't want to, we don't want to mess with your, you know, your, your lifestyle. And so therefore we, we need holiness in the house. If you want to know what, what's next and the next step, somebody say it's holiness. God is calling some of you that are comfortable in sin to come out of it. We don't, Pastor Timmy, I promise you, we don't preach stuff like this. Because this doesn't grow churches. Can I be honest? I, I know it. It doesn't, it doesn't grow churches. We want attractional stuff. Let's, let's, let's pump the music. Let's make the best child care. That child care that's at the end of service is going to zip line your kid back in service. And you sit there and boom, your son is there. Like that's what we want. We want this crazy experience online where everything is the best quality and the lights are pumping. And man, I felt something when I walked in, but none of us want to walk out and say, I got to live holy. Nobody want to walk out and say, I can't stay in this relationship because I keep having sex with her. Nobody want to talk like that. Nobody want to say there are moments in my life where I just disobey God, which is sin. There are moments in my life where I am prideful in my heart. There are moments in my life, life where I lie and, and I steal and, and I'm not always trustworthy and, and, and I, don't, I, I don't have character. God is like, holiness is what you need. Here, look at what he says. He says, teach them to observe. Observe what? All that I have commanded. I'm ending right here. I'm closing this so you know I'm ending. Warner, when you preached last week, you were preaching. Play something, bro. You, you were preaching. <laughs> I'm sorry. I just got too much to say. Um, Warner, when you were preaching last week, bro, you were in Jonah 1. And um, it's powerful. Um, but when I consider the life of Jonah, and I think about God's grace toward Jonah, but also God's grace toward Nineveh, that was unworthy and undeserving of God's grace. And here's how gracious God is. Think about this. God wanted Nineveh to repent so bad that he gave a disobedient prophet another chance. After he gets swallowed up, God redirects him back, spits him up on the shore. And then in, in, in chapter three, the Bible literally says, and the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time again. It came to Jonah again because God was so relentless in making sure that Nineveh was walking in, in, in this thing called repentance. And what I would say for us is holiness. Now, here's what messed me up. I told y'all I did a few devotionals. One of the devotionals I did was through the book of Nahum. Do you realize that there is a book after Jonah, two books later, that the prophet Nahum had the same assignment that Jonah had? What was the assignment? The assignment was to go to Nineveh. And but Nahum isn't disobedient. He goes to Nineveh, Nineveh, but it's a different message. The message that Jonah carried was giving them time to repent. And they did. Nahum doesn't give them time to repent. In fact, they never repent. His message is you're now going to be destroyed. Why? Because 150 years ago, I sent my prophet to tell you holiness is right. And 150 years later, you still fooled up. And some of you in here, you look, I know it. You'll, you'll hear this message and you'll walk out and do nothing with it. You do nothing with holiness. You, you, you know, you're comfortable. You, you've, made, you've made excuses. It's not really sin. It's not that bad. This, this, you know, we love this one. 
I ain't hurting nobody. You hurting God. Because God has a standard. He says, be holy as I am holy. And so for some of us, as we talk about the Great Commission, we talk about evangelism. For some of you, evangelism needs to start with you not evangelizing to somebody else, but evangelizing to yourself. Calling yourself to repentance. The day you hear the Lord's voice, harden not your heart. And I believe that today he's shaking somebody up. And he's doing it in a good way because he's... You want Jonah. You don't want Nahum. Nahum is saying, you're too late. Jonah says, you got time. Get it right. Every head bowed and every eye closed. Man, I'm so glad to be back. There, there is somebody in this room that wants to receive this great commission and they, they, they want to they wanna walk well with the Lord and they want to be obedient to the Lord. But let's be honest, it's hard, y'all. This, this journey ain't easy. But I think God wants to give somebody another chance today. Someone needs to repent. Thank you, Jesus. Can we just start praying in this room? Somebody needs to repent of casually dealing with the things of God. Someone needs to repent of doing church, but living anyway. And he, sis, I know you're in the room. Bruh, I, I know you're here. And I'm not judging you. I'm not, I'm not beating you up. I'm just saying got an opportunity today to be transformed and changed. Let's do this real quick because I preached too long. If you're in here and you are struggling with holiness and, and, and you know the Lord is calling you to, 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 to live up to the standard that he's called you to, if you know that you want to be on mission, do me a favor, just run down to the altar so we can pray. If that's you, if you, if you want to get it right with the Lord, you want to be on mission, you, you tired of this casual Christianity, if that's you, come on down so we can pray. Because I believe that God wants to do a work. He's giving you Jonah right now. Thank you for coming, bro. He's giving you Jonah right now. Oh, God. I want to give it a few minutes here. I see you coming. Everybody that's serving under the sound of my voice, please hear me. I don't care if you're in the tech room, in the hallway. Don't let your service get in the way of your repentance. I'm convinced that there are some people that serve their way out of repenting. And we think as long as I work for him, as long as I work for him, I ain't actually got to submit to him. The devil is a liar. You need to get on the altar. Because God wants to do a work in your life as well. Thank you for coming. Y'all come on close. Y'all come on close. Thank you for coming. Father, I thank you for each and every individual that came down to this altar. It's not easy to, in front of people to declare that I've got it all together, but I... But I just I want you to do something in my life. I'm looking forward to the testimonies that are on this altar. People who will be transformed and delivered and walk. There are some people on this altar that they will cold turkey stop. Because the Holy Spirit knows how to ransom us. 
then there are other people on this altar that will continue to struggle. And, but Lord, I pray, oh God, that they'll never get in, that they won't sit down on the track, but will take the baton and keep running and keep pursuing and keep going after you because you keep pursuing and running and chasing after us. So Lord, we, we didn't gather today just to hear a word. We gather because we want to be used by you. And yes, you use unworthy, broken people. But Lord, let us not take our brokenness and allow it to just be a handicapped crutch. But let us take our brokenness and submit it to you, knowing that you really are the author and our finisher of our faith. Father, we really, we really love your son. I, b- I believe that's on this altar. I believe we really love your son. But Lord, we are a part of the doubters, meaning we're fickle. We're, we, we don't have it together. So Lord, we need you to continue to work on us. Work on the hearts. Work on the minds. Lord, somebody on this altar needs to disconnect from that, that circle. That, it's that circle that's dragging them down. It's that circle that's not allowing them to pursue you. So, Lord, I pray, oh God, that they would either walk away from that or be the Christian influence in it. Clarify that and crystallize that in their lives. Lord, I thank you, oh God, for each person. I pray, oh God, for a wondrous work. And I pray for a great testimony. And I pray that people around them will be saved because they've gotten their selves together so they can be used by you. Thank you for commissioning us and sending us out. In the name of your Son, Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen.